Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Innovation is something we all talk about, but something that is notoriously hard to do in insurance. That's hardly surprising, because in our industry, we prize and incentivize all the things that are the effective opposite of innovative. We reward stable and predictable, when at least in the beginning, most innovative ventures are likely to be highly volatile and unpredictable. And then we wonder why it's so hard to bring new ideas to fruition in our sector. To be fair to ourselves, in the past few years, insurance has started to invest in people who have the word innovation in their job title, and whose performance is measured more on whether they can bring the products of the future to market, rather than on their initial loss ratios. Tom Hode is one of this select but growing band. He moved to Howden to set up Howden Ventures, which he describes as a vehicle for professionalising innovation. Here, Tom is combining seed and venture funding with distribution and the ability to underwrite through the Howden Group's dual underwriting platform. In this almost breathless podcast, Tom is hugely energised at the prospect of having all the tools at his disposal to remove the main roadblocks in startup insurance businesses' paths. It's also an episode that I hope will give you a lot of inspiration and make you feel that the London-based insurance ecosystem is in rude good health and highly likely to be the crucible in which many of the insurance products of the future are going to be forged. Enjoy the podcast. Tom, welcome back to The Voice of Insurance. Thanks very much for having me. Really great to see you. You've got something to shout about, which is Howden Ventures. So tell us all about it. What is it exactly and why are you doing it? It's one of these things that it is quite difficult to define, I think. So what's the best form of describing it that you're happy with? Well, it's quite a difficult question to answer succinctly. So I'll give you a little bit of history first, and then we'll get to what it does. Bear in mind my background, so and I'm an, I'm an underwriter. We, uh, all listeners can rewind back. I'll put into the notes the, the previous podcast we did with Tom. Yeah, well, quite right. So my background is obviously as an underwriter, and throughout my whole career, I've really been dealing with new products, thinking about clients and what they need. And through that journey, a huge amount of support from a previous employer and the market. But generally speaking, what I've found in my career is that this market needs to inject a lot more entrepreneurialism into it. And that's both from our own employees, our own staff, but it's also from entrepreneurs that come from outside our industry who have a new, fresh perspective on how to look at risk and what kind of tools, techniques and technology they have to try and evaluate and understand risk in a novel or a client-pleasing way. And so How Ventures was really born out of necessity. I think it's an important step the market needs to make to ensure that we're professionalizing how entrepreneurs can work with us as a community and how we can evolve our own ecosystem to do a better job for our clients. So it's almost like an admission that we haven't been doing it quite right so far. We've been making incredible progress. And as I look around the market, I couldn't be more proud of some of the other initiatives that, frankly, I've had nothing to do with. But I think there's a real culture now in around Lloyds and in around London where we've got a big and growing community of people who really understand the value of the longer term. These are people who've sort of said in the short term, of course, there's a cycle and we have to manage that. And in the last uh, time we talked, we talked a little bit about that. And that's difficult in its own right. But I think thinking about clients, what the longer term proposition for the market is and how we get there has become far more of a current and topical narrative in our community. This is Tom, actually. Your previous incarnation was head of innovation at Tokyo Marine Kiln, TMK. Yeah. And I think you were probably one of the first people to have the word innovation in your job title, which <laughs> was an innovation in itself. That was six or seven or eight years ago when that first happened. 
So what is it about Howden Ventures that's different, that is trying to solve this problem or just do this innovation better? Yeah, I think Ventures as a sort of job title, to me, is a progression of the title of innovation. I think Ventures is a professionalizing of the innovation space. And Howden Ventures, what it does is it takes into account a certain tranche of innovation and really tries to professionalize the way that we bring that all together. So what we're really interested in is working with external entrepreneurial talent who want and are creative enough and have the tenacity to start their own business. And when they do that, first of all, they need money so that we have some investment funds to deploy to take a minority stake in their business. And that's to help them build out the technology or their proposition in some way. But alongside that, we have a platform that really incubates their idea with them. And it's very unlike a traditional VC model. We are really in the weeds with what these entrepreneurs want to do and how they want to achieve it. So fundamentally, it's an investment strategy looking to build MGAs that are really too nascent and too early in their journey to become MGAs. And the way we do that is that we've worked with our markets, our partner insurers, we call them, to set up a platform where we immediately have underwriting capacity to deploy. And that, I think, is a massive step forward in the right direction. And we've done it in a way that's carefully curated. It's a way that is sensibly approaching new risk and how to tackle it from an underwriting standpoint, and it works with the market to do that. So when an entrepreneur comes to us, we make an investment, but then they have access to immediate underwriting capacity so that we can then deploy that. And that's through the Jewel side. That's of right. Howden yeah. And, and Jewel, part of the Howden Group, is a phenomenally well-run MGA unit run by Richard Clapham, who incidentally is my boss and sponsor in all of this in the Howden Group. So you're going to report to Richard? I'm very happy reporting to Richard, yes. It's going to be Jewel's license to underwrite that that's is right. being used there. And that is a huge benefit for the startups, the entrepreneurs we're working with, because what I've seen in my time in innovation in the market is that entrepreneurs who have a great idea, who want to bring it to market, first of all, getting capacity is difficult. So we've talked about how we've solved that. Second of all, becoming an MGA seems like something that just happens. Actually, in reality, we do not make that easy as a market. There are all sorts of encumbrances around doing that. There, there are also good costs. reasons why it's not that easy. No, quite right. And, and actually, that's the point here that's been, I think, attractive for our partner insurers. Actually, the binding authority is with Jewel. So we are not subdelegating anything to entrepreneurs. I am actually personally underwriting the risks on behalf of the entrepreneurs to allow the first phase of product development to occur. Can we sell the product? Can we sell the product repeatedly? And what does the loss ratio look like? So the risk bearer, they're effectively introducing business into Dual. That's right. And we are basically training them how to become MGAs. And what sort of business are, are they a broker technically when they first start then? When they first start, they tend to be unsure of what they are, but they know that the model they want to operate in is an MGA model. For example, and we'll get on to talk about this, I'm sure, but our first investment, the entrepreneur there, the founder, Tony Hildreau, a fantastic young man, he is really a marine engineer. And of course, as a marine engineer, he came to the market without any of the sort of necessary skill set to understand insurance. I mean, he's very bright and has caught up very quickly. But at the same time, that was a huge hurdle for his business to get over. And I think we're doing a very good job. Of no, helping let's him. talk about it now. There's no point bringing up a subject and then having to put it Well, I hadn't finished the again. platform, Mark. That was the yeah. problem. Yeah. This is Cito AI, right, yeah, which yeah. is your first investment yeah. and your first, so the first business to come onto the platform. This is marine technology. That's right. Yeah. And so at his heart, what's really exciting about this is that 
in the marine sector, if you look up trends in marine and marine tech, you'll find that a lot of shipping companies are interested in fuel economy. They're interested in carbon scoring. And there's, I think there's regulation and coming. Sulfur dioxide yeah, in the fuel, all sorts of absolutely things. Absolutely, changing bunkers. And on top of that, when vessels are laid up, they don't trade. So for a shipping company, actually understanding what could go wrong on board a vessel as a kind of a preventative, predictive, analytical tool is actually really valuable. The insurance is almost a byproduct of part of what they're doing. What they're doing is they've got sensors. They're looking at all the data feeds that's coming out of the turbine in the engine room yeah. and all the stuff in the you know, the rudder directions and what I don't presume everything. Well, wave but, height and well, wind and goodness I'll, knows. I'll try and do Tony justice. With this, <laughs> the way I see it is that any vessel has a ton of equipment on it, and for class purposes and other purposes, that equipment needs to feed data through a centralised control unit in yep. the ship. And the reason why it does that is because if the boiler room gets too hot and it becomes on fire, someone on board needs to investigate and see what's happened and deal with it. And of course, that's the primary thing here. It's all about safety. At the same time, because that data feed exists, there's also a sort of a hidden data set that actually the shipping companies all have, which is around what does that data show before it becomes an alarm situation? Yes. How does it show how an engine is beginning to turn over in the wrong way? What is going on with the oscillation with the propeller? And these things are fundamentally interesting to shipping companies, full stop. And actually, CETO has just won this fantastic competition with a conglomerate of three Japanese ship owners to be part of their journey as well. So more about that later so on. So basically, helping ship owners run the ships more efficiently with less downtime, yeah. less engine failure and other things, or that they won't have to put in for maintenance as often if they're running it well, running it with the right fuel mix, all the technicalities of that. And then there's a spin-off for insurance. That's right. And before we spin off into the insurance, just as a business model, we should respect the fact that C2AI, as a business model, works in its own right as an entity that shipping companies are interested in. Yeah. So then turning to insurance, of course, the next step with that, and it's not even a pivot or anything as exciting and sexy as that, it's how do we then take that data and evaluate whether or not that is potential for a market-beating marine hull MGO. So once we know about machinery, once we know about propellers, boiler rooms and other things, what portion of risk does that relate to on board a vessel? And I can tell you, having looked at well over 17,000 marine hull claims, that there is quite a large correlation between what goes on board on a ship yep. and the loss ratios that we as a market create. So the simple step with CETO is to say, well, look, you are busy explaining to clients what data they have and playing it back to them in a way that's commercially viable as an entity. But also, we as an insurance industry should be thinking about this because this data supplemented, of course, with our expertise and a human being knowing how to underwrite is the best recipe that I can see for really pushing forward in the marine space in the market. It's really supplementing what we do with completely new and enriched data set that I think is very, very exciting. All your interests are aligned. No good ship owner wants their ship to have a loss. No, that's right. And I think there will be barriers. I mean, if you, if you think back to car telematics, because some people are worried about having a black box put on the car and how they might drive and so on and so forth. But I think that's part of this process. This you suppose if it's transparent and you're all talking together about what this is telling you, yeah. then it's slightly different, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And to begin with, actually, all we do is we observe what the data from the black box and, and CTOI presents, whilst also being associated with the insurance for the client without 
bring them together. And obviously, if they get a discount, they, you're giving them a financial incentive to engage, I suppose, and make it a rather than a black box, a transparent box that you can see what's going on inside. I'd probably use that as a strap line somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that's the point, though. Yes, it's a, probably about discounts, but actually it's about a better, more robust product for clients and for insurers. What a fantastic way to truly segment and understand the type of clients that we're insuring. Sorry to interrupt in mid-flow, but this is just a reminder that you could be advertising right here, right now, and getting your message directly into the ear of key decision makers in the insurance industry. And you'll be doing it while they're absolutely in listening mode. The Voice of Insurance has just run through 300,000 downloads. If each of those had had a 60-second ad in them, that would make 83 hours of talking to the industry for a fraction of the cost of alternative media. The podcast is the medium of the future, and so is audio advertising. Contact me on mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com, and I'll do everything I can to get you started. To go back to Howden Ventures, obviously, ventures, yes, part of what you're doing is you're a venture capitalist. Yeah. How much of that is just pump priming to get the whole thing going? <laughs> or how much of it is, well, does this VC fund have to do what other VC funds, you know, take in lots of money from mostly, obviously, they take in money from third parties, from pension funds and whatever else. And then hopefully in the seventh year or the fifth year or whenever it is, they want to return double that money or whatever it is. Yeah. Is that your incentive or is it really the money is there to help get these things going? So I'm going to maintain that I'm different. I'll start with that. I think that the key thing is here that there is a little bit of pump priming, to use your language, in that the market needs to see that these businesses are investable with this sort and of this platform. is your money. This is Howden money. That's right. It's Howden money. money. Yeah. Howden group money to begin with. So it's, you know, you've put your money where your mouth is before you start. That's right. And I think the Howden exec are very excited about doing things like that here. And that is why I've come to Howden. And that's why having been here for nearly 11 months now, it's been such an interesting journey in building out all these capabilities in an organization like this that is actually very receptive to trying to do the right sort of things for innovation. But to answer your question, at some point, subject to everything, regulatory approval, etc., it is quite possible this will turn into a fully fedged, fedged capital fund. To be taking third-party capital? At some point, yes. But until that point comes around, and, and again, subject... Would you rather... You need to prove yourself first. And I think we should. And I, I think this is where markets who might be interested in pursuing that model with us, I think they want to see that we're ready to put our money where our mouths is, and that we can do this, and that actually this is the next evolution of innovation within the London market, and that the pipeline of clients is right, it's a good fit, and they can see evidence that the stages they're going through are actually creating enormous value for the market. And I think we need to do that first. So you've sat on both sides of the fence. Right at the beginning of your career, where you were broken, then you then became an underwriter. I tried, and then back I tried broken at the start, yeah. Do you think it's easier now, part of an intermediary group, is it easier to innovate? I think it's the glue that sticks everything together. So earlier on, didn't quite finish the overall platform of Howden Ventures. We got onto CETO AI. But at Howden, I think we've got somewhere in the region of 14,000, 15,000 brokers here. And of course, they're all very excited and interested in what their clients want and need. And one of the biggest issues when you're operating out of a Lloyd syndicate is proximity to client. And I think Howden does a fantastic job of filling that in. So truly understanding a client's needs. And actually, what I found, and, and this is no disrespect to anyone in underwriting, but sometimes the feedback loop with a client can be obfuscated by other things. I don't want to upset someone for political reasons, for trading reasons, for other things. 
What I like about sitting in Howden is that if I want to talk to a client, I will go and get warts and all what they think about something. And that's absolutely critical for product design and development. If you don't have that, you're hearing through a sort of a series of different interpretations what it might be. What you actually want is to be talking as close as you can to the decision-making unit that you're ultimately trying to help. And I think that's what Howden helps with. It helps bring me closer to where the clients are so that we can truly understand the needs. So for example, with CETO, it's a really good example. Clearly, the clients want to use their data for different purposes. Clearly, tech isn't even a trend anymore. It's a reality in marine. And therefore, from our perspective, all we're doing is it integrated within the data sets they currently use and observe. And then we're trying to apply our skill set of insurance and risk transfer to that part of it. And I think one of the big steps in my career is coming here. Howden really does open that up for me. And of course, the other thing it does is, again, to allow me to work with a group of insurers. So as a, as a team, and this is fundamentally you're going to trigger me now, but this is fundamentally, <laughs> this is what Lloyd's is about, right? So we are fantastically good at sharing in both line size and how to syndicate that, but also knowledge and understanding of how to get things right. And I think one of the things that Hannah Ventures allows us to do is to say, well, let's do it as a team. Let's work together. It's a true partnership model where we are trying to do things on behalf of the market, but with thinking about investment returns and bringing everything that I've just described together. So you need the market, and that means you need other brokers as well. That's right. And I would encourage other brokers to continue working with Jewel. And on top of that, I think some of those brokers have fantastically entrepreneurial ideas, and they should both be working with Jewel anywhere in the normal course of things. But there are opportunities to work with Howden Ventures as well. Yeah, anyone interested, they should listen to the Jewel 25th anniversary episode, which was earlier in the year. So I'll put a link to that in the notes. Part of the announcement for Howden Ventures was this big, very eye-catching number that was maybe it was quite nice to see that covered by the Financial Times, for example. You know, something that's going to be read all over the world. Five hundred million was a big number, yeah. And that's structured effectively a binder to Jewel. That that's correct. Is there, and then there's five hundred million of notional capacity, yeah. And presumably they're similar. As far as I could see, the, the similar sort of markets are supporting the innovation facility. In fact, I can't remember what the latest <laughs> changed its name, didn't it? But it, is it, well, it used to be called the PIF, but it, is it, or is it called? The well, PIF? I'm not allowed to name anything anymore. I think that's part of the problem there. But um, the product I, innovation it, facility. It was, is that well, I'll, I'll get this right, Mark. It's now called the Lloyd's Product Launchpad. Yeah, that was. I remember. I'd forgotten about. I'm sorry. I remember the old one. I think to some of the discussion we've already had, you know, this is what I think is happening. The Lloyd's Product Launchpad is an iteration of the PIF, as I called it. But really, its intention is the same. We need our market to be receptive to new ideas, and we need to showcase the types of tools, skills, and utilities that we've got in order to help new ideas come to fruition. Because otherwise, and again, you totally triggered me again on my own, but if you look over the bridge at Borough Market, that market was once not what it is today. They were selling all sorts of things that were basic commodities. Yes. And they have had to evolve into what now is some form of... It's extreme high added value. Culinary delight sort of <laughs> smorgasbord. They convince people to spend £8 on a loaf of bread. Right, phenomenal. pretty good. But to me, when I think about our market and Lloyd's, you know, I'm sorry for this metaphor for everyone who's heard me use it before. If you think of Lloyd's as a metaphorical fruit and vegetable vendor... And that at each sort of underwriting box, there's a selection of apples, bananas, pears, and oranges. Absolutely. We need fruit salads. And we need to have different types of fruit and vegetables that we are bringing to market in order to excite and delight our clients. And to do that, we need to know what they're using them for. What are the chefs using these ingredients for? What are the latest trends in culinary delights that we should be looking for? And how can we respond as a marketplace to that? 
Oh, I absolutely get that. Yes, I can see you see the evolution in supermarkets, you know, where the fruit used to just be there and now it's peeled. It's in some sort of plastic thing ready for you to just ingest it. Absolutely right. And I think technology is no longer anything to do with a trend. As I said before, it's a reality. And we as a market, we need to embrace it. And I think when we think about the word insure tech, what troubles me with insure tech is it sounds to me like technology for insurance companies. Whereas I think the right version of InsureTech is really how do we embrace the changes in our clients using technology to drive more innovation in the insurance industry? Last bit about Howden Ventures itself. So maybe in year five or something, and when having a real assessment of how you've done, how are you going to sort of score yourself and say, this is what success looks like? 10 to 15 brand new products to market, 10 to 15 hopefully scaling MGAs, some in the region of incredible increase in value for all of the investments that and we've you'd made. Hope that, yes, that those investments, are, you know, your VC fund is going to be you know, in the black. I would hope that we would have one as well. And we would hope that that VC fund is, is making outsized returns. At the same time, even if it doesn't, I think the intention here is for having strategically aligned, very interesting specialty lines insurances playing a major role in the evolution of the marketplace. So there is a huge strategic element to this. And that is why we are so carefully partnered with the right insurance companies who want to support this journey. Great. I think we've done all of that. I'm really glad that we've done that because it's really important, I think, for people to know what you do do and what you don't do and what what it is and what it isn't. Because otherwise, if you leave a vacuum there, people end up filling it in yeah. with their own imaginations. But now we can talk about actual innovation. And CETO uh, was your, as your first. So I presume you've got a massive pipeline of things. I think we've seen 600 opportunities in 11 months. I think of them, to my point around what we're looking for, we're quite brutal, I'm afraid. So a Fair lot of enough. things we don't like. That is not to say that they're not good ideas. I mean, and actually, I'm not sure that I ever look at something and go, God, that's awful. It's more, is it a fit for Howden Ventures? So when we're looking at things, that's how we look at it. We make sure that the investment's going to be well spent when we make it. So when we triage, we go from 600 down to, let's say, 50. And let's say of those 50, we're working very closely with the founders to work out what are we going to do with them? How are we going to use our platform to their advantage? And how do we kind of co-create things and how do we de-risk their journey? And that process can take a little bit of time. But what we get out of it are very, I think, sensible investment memoranda that then go to our group investment committee and get signed off. And once we've done that, we are off and running and we are very, very quick at putting things in place post-investment. So when you say, when you're working out what is a Howden Ventures type thing, yeah. so what is a Howden Ventures well, type thing? I'm actually going to describe that a different way. So I've seen, as I said, a number of things in the last 11 months. And some of those things you think, gosh, that is the most exciting thing I've ever heard about. When I invest, and bear in mind, I've got the wonderful Acacia Taylor helping with this, who's our head of investments over here. We look at the opportunity from what percentage stake can we get? How do we need to use the money? How do we put the platform around it? And then what we do is we say, right, in my experience, nearly 20 years, this is what's going to happen. And I can see it. So I can see most of the problems that are going to come. And I know in innovation terms, I can take this business from A to B. The vision will be what's in the investor deck. And that will be letters G or H in an alphabet. But what you need to do with investment is to take that business from A to B on the journey to G or H or I or J in the alphabet. And it's very important that we do it that way because otherwise you get lost. You get washed away. 
Well, and if you're not careful about how you spend your time, both on the venture side and on the entrepreneur side, you will end up using cash burn for the wrong things. And that is the whole point of how the ventures at every step, whether it's access to clients through distribution, whether it's the capacity that we've got through the binder, whether it's using Jewel as an MJ, or whether it's using our data enrichment studio, which I'm very excited about, which comes straight out of a business called Howden Driving Data, that's all about assimilating car telematics into Insight for underwriters that we put all of that together because that is, I think, the best use of an entrepreneur's time. And you're trying to get income through the MGA early on so that you can prove that it's got real potential to scale. And that's what I think is very, very exciting. And so what's core about these? Is it the data piece? Are they all going to be a bit like CETO? Yeah, I think that's right. I think as a kind of a, a table stakes, everything's about technology and data. But then within that, of course, you need the right entrepreneur. And you know, entrepreneurs come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. So, you know, we had to, as a team and as a group, be very open to working for very different types of people and backgrounds and so on and so forth. I find that very exhilarating, actually. It always challenges me on what I think I know. So that's another piece. And then you need the right idea. And at its heart, it's all about the right idea. If you go back to CETO, which we probably laboured too much in this interview, that this is a marine engineer who has amazing insight from having literally been at sea. Yeah. I mean, that is exactly what this market needs. People like that wanting to work with us. These days, I suppose we're well beyond the hype cycle of InsureTech, which probably peaked two or three years ago. So perhaps with those big IPOs in New York, the shine came off of all of those things. And we've had a reality check, which is, I think is extremely healthy. I think we, everyone knew we were in a slightly bubblicious moment. <laughs> and now we've got back to reality. Does that make your job slightly easier now that the marine engineer who's thinking I might be an InsureTech are they more mature now than they would have been? I think maybe. I struggle with this sort of grandiose concept of insure tech. I still think it, to me, it sounds like tech for insurance. And I'm not sure that's what we're doing. I think we're saying insurance is its own industry. It absolutely needs to embrace tech. And there are some fabulous initiatives going on around the market doing that. What I'm doing is finding businesses that can use technology to better interpret clients' needs. And from that, we're then building out MGAs. So I'm not sure what to call this yet. And as I said before, I'm not allowed to name anything. So but there, <laughs> there's clearly an evolution here of that bubble into something that I think is more sustainable and more long term and more in line with what I think the market wants. Do you think it's just a better ecosystem now anyway? For example, we have the Lloyd's Lab fifth birthday recently, which was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. But at the end of the day, that is exactly what I'm talking about. I think one thing that I definitely want to get into this interview is that as an industry, I think we have to look at what we're doing with things like pay and remuneration, because when we think about what we want people to be excited about at work, most of the model in the market is you want the most amount of income you can get. And whether you're a broker or an underwriter, it's irrelevant. You need to have low loss ratios, because especially on the underwriter side, that's where you make your money. But on the broking side, you need to sustain the market and it's still important. And you need to comply with the model, right? And those three things are largely what promotes people in our marketplace. But I can tell you, having done innovation for nearly 20 years, that is not what innovation looks like. Innovation looks like very little income to start with, potentially volatile underwriting results, and I won't say non-compliant with governance and oversight, but you have to be super sharp on those things in order to get anything done. So as a model, when we pay our staff and our culture is to reward large income, low loss ratios and behavior that's within the mold of those two things, then we are missing the opportunity to really get behind 
what is an emerging, far less cottage industry of innovation going on in the marketplace. And I think that is going to change dramatically. And I think as we move forward, if you take my analogy of Borough Market as a good example, we're going to start rewarding people for this longer term, far more client orientated approach. And that is a fantastic use of Lloyd's. Forgive me for saying this again, but you know, when the Titanic slip was broke to us, Willis Broker came in and said, unsinkable, fantastic risk. You should probably write it. Thank goodness we did it as a team because it didn't work out, but there were, I don't know how many was it, maybe 87 markets on that slip. That is the true heart of Lloyd's. Yeah. I think people listening to this will absolutely, whether they agree with anything I've said or not, that will be evocative of what this industry thinks about. That is a fantastic use of our brilliant market. And that syndicated approach to take on new things is exactly at the heart of what Howland Ventures is trying to be. What about that early underwriting volatility? Something like CETO, it almost sounds like you have to be on a winner almost straight away because it was, you already know what a hull-loss ratio looks like. So it's, it's a class that already exists and yeah. has been around for obviously for 300 years or whatever. Yeah. So it's got a ton of data. Everyone knows what, what a good loss ratio in that class is. Yeah. And this looks like it's going to be something we'll be doing a nice job of chipping away a few points here and there. That's right. Quite easy wins. So you wouldn't expect volatility with that. And I'm not, but no. at the same time, there's real skill and technique in applying what the data says into things that are reliable proxies for underwriting. Yeah. So just as... I suppose some of them, they look like reliable proxies and they turn out... That's right. Good. And there's basis risk and there's all sorts of stuff in there. And if you look at the sort of emergence of these parametric products, basis risk is a major component of how do you interpret things like wind speed into underwriting losses. And this is for anyone listening, this is the risk that the parameter doesn't actually cover your loss or that you end up having, the wind didn't blow quite hard enough, but your roof still blew off. Yeah. Uh, and the parametric policy doesn't pay out or the other way around. Sometimes you get to pay out when you didn't actually have a loss. That's right. And, and But at its heart, what clients are buying is really the claim. That's used everywhere in these interviews. So forgive me for repeating it, but the claim is the important bit. So whenever we train data to give us insight, we're making sure that at the end of the day, the product is paying the client for what they've said they want it to pay for. And when you take data out of ships, for example, yes, you're supplementing underwriting, but you're also making sure that you're going to pay the right claims with it as well. And that journey is not straightforward. It's not just to turn it on and see what happens. There might be versions of this where the wording needs to change, for example, and clients need to be comfortable with that. Go back to car telematics. Is everyone comfortable with a black box telling you how to drive? I'm not sure that's going to work very well in the shipping sector, but we have to take this insight and, and learn from it. And over time, it will iterate and improve on loss ratios. And at the end of the day, that's a better product for client. It's likely to be a cheaper product for the right client. And at the end of the day, that's where I think the market's going. I can't have you on the show without talking about one of the buzzwords of this year, which is, I think Collins have just put it in their dictionary as the word of the year was AI. I didn't even know it was a word. I suppose it, I thought yeah. it was two letters, abbreviation. But well, I can spell it as well. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to spell. Easy yeah. to spell. Yeah. AI. Are you getting particularly excited about it, or were you already excited about it anyway? Just finally, the rest of the world caught up and worked out what it was. I mean, I mean for me, if I'm thinking about AI, I'm thinking about what is the MGA that is going to sell MGA-related AI insurance products. I'm not thinking about how AI improves loss ratios by 3% because we run it across the whole portfolio or mm -hmm. things like that. So my version of AI is really what do the clients need? So who's using AI? What does the trend of AI look like? What are the pitfalls of it? And what do we do about that as an industry? It's terrifying. The, the professional indemnity for someone writing these codes, it's potentially enormous and systemic. And therefore, is the product 
for example, an iteration of professional indemnity insurance that has some specific capabilities of evaluating AI risk in it. And that's just off the cuff, but that is how I see AI. I refuse to get caught up in the sort of fashionista of AI, blockchain, crypto, whatever you want to call it, because I think broadly speaking, these are things that insurers and nutman brokers are looking at as part of how do they become more efficient? How do they improve their operating model? And that is a very important part of innovation, but is not what we're doing in how to ventures. Well, AI, presumably what CETO's doing, of course it's AI. Yeah, it's CETO AI, for example. I think most AI, of the investors will probably put AI on the end of. Yeah, of course, because if you can get the computers to do it a thousand times quicker that's than right. you can, yeah. then why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you look at that? And of course, that's where it's a valuable tool and that's where it provides value to that model. But ultimately, I'm looking for MGAs. So what else is getting you excited in, in the pipeline? What sort of rhythm should we be expecting from a Howden Ventures? Well, we're getting quicker, which is great. How many ventures a year would we be Well, I mean, I, mean I, I would have thought by the end of this year, we'll have done three deals. By the end of next year, we probably would have done between eight and 10. By some point in next year, we may, subject to regulatory approval and everything, my caveat, we may have launched a fund and we may be looking to further that model as it goes forward. What I like about that is when I think about some of the narrative that we get from the risk management communities and my favorite risk management communities AMIC, who I know Julia very well, they always challenge us as a market, what are you doing for a client? And if we genuinely at Hound Ventures can turn around and say, well, we've just done 10 new products in two years, this is, I think, exactly what they want us to do. And for the insurers that partner with us, this is exactly what the insurers who partner with us want us to do, because it's showing that not just are we innovating, but we're actually materially driving premium growth through innovation. And one of the things that has frustrated me over the years is that I think this move by Lloyd's to create the ICX, the innovation class at yeah. Lloyd's, was a fundamentally pivotal moment in the evolution of Lloyd's. I think John Neal can hang his hat on that as one of the great things that's happened in his tenure. And I think the community that's driving that is fundamentally part of the next version of Lloyd's, Lloyd's 7.0, whatever it is, right? And that ICX risk code, there is always challenge on what's the premium income. But that is by, frankly, the part of Lloyd's that is obsessed with short-term market cycles, underwriting income and loss ratios. The point about ICX is that as insurers, you are allowed up to 2% outside of stamp as premium income to be used for innovation purposes. And Lloyd's will not performance manage you for failures within the ICX class. And what is happening is that markets are getting used to this enabler and they're getting used to putting in play innovation portfolios that drive the use of ICX. And that fundamentally at a market level in a 10 year period will have dramatically changed the industry. And Hound and Ventures is a catalyst for that. It's not going to be the 2% that blows up the rest. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, so you don't just say, well, I'll just do anything. No, of course you don't. And as we all know, if you take my alphabet metaphor analogy, innovation is about going from A to B, B to C, C to D, and carefully through towards G and H, not going, let's do G and H on day one. Because A, you won't do it. And B, if you do it in the wrong way, the results are cataclysmic. So innovation is all about careful incubation or curation of risk so as to be sustainable. So you get to the next stage, you, sudden, yeah. you will not end up with a 2,000% loss ratio no, you because won't. you would have got through A, B, and C, and D first. But the other thing about this is that fundamentally, at some point, it's no longer innovation, right? So as ventures initiatives grow, they are no longer ventures. These are M&A opportunities. These are 
external capital opportunities. These are things that the more mature parts of the market begin to see as assets for their existing portfolio. So ventures or innovation will never be the driving force of the core of our industry, but it absolutely, and John Neal's words were like leading the flotilla at the front, absolutely will be driving what change looks like in the market and hopefully for the sustainable future as well. Because you're going to be out there scouting. The amount of effort, and my hat goes off to the people in the market doing this, the amount of effort required through blood, sweat and tears, frankly, to get things done in the marketplace is phenomenal. And on top of that, I think because of it, it's becoming easier. And I think because of the effort from what frankly starts off as a handful of individuals is now creating this culture and this environment that is changing. <laughs> so enough of you banged your head against the brick wall to finally yeah, you, loosen a few you, bricks and there's you, a bit of a hole you, you can crawl through now. But you it? have to, because ultimately there is real merit for everyone not doing innovation. If every broker and underwriter was thinking about conceptual things and so on and so forth, it would be a disaster for the market. But at the same time, they should not be allowed to block or get in the way of change. That is the equivalent of black cabs lining up on London Bridge because they're upset that Uber's taking their business. And in our industry, we should not be looking at that scenario at all. We should be working with an Uber to work out how do we take the Uber framework and apply it to black cabs. Yeah, so yeah. we don't get this disconnect or this dislocation in the market. And I think that's the thing that I'm really proud of. And that's got nothing to do with just me. That's got a whole list of names now who I think have been driving innovation in the marketplace. And I, I couldn't be more happy to be part of it. One last thing about ventures. I mean, how big's your team and how big is it likely to get? So at the moment, the team's quite small and necessarily small. But over the next two years, I think we'll have a full-time employee base of around 20 people. And we'll have a network that's probably more like 100 people because the way that we operate within Howland Group draws on all the strengths of the Howland Group. And it could be connected with our partner insurers, which, of course, have depth of expertise across different classes. They have techniques and skills around data, AI, and all sorts of other things. And, and that's what I'm hoping will be. So you're the, hoping some of them will be bringing things to you as they, well they as you bring them to They bring, already are. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If you become a third-party fund manager, I presume that's, that becomes another regulated entity. That's right, yeah. You know, how we do that will be down to Howden and its risk appetite, but there are lots of ways of doing that, I think, that could be very, very effective. And so we're, at the moment, working out how do we do that. We need separate boards and all sorts of things. I probably won't go into the complexities. Quite complex. Quite, com quite, quite complex. And, and, you know, for a business like Howden, where we get what we do as our core right... When we take new decisions on things like where should we house the VC bit, we look for the right partnerships if necessary, and we look for the right regulatory framework and governance that obviously will be a key part of our value proposition. Well, Tom, thanks so much for this. If there's anything we haven't spoken about that you think we should have spoken about, then don't hold your peace any longer. I just think the key thing is, is that if you're out there and you're thinking as a member of the industry or as an outsider and you've happened to happen across the Voice of Insurance podcast with <sighs> me in it, then I think if you've got an idea that you think could help clients that has an MGA or an insurance angle to it, reach out to Howland Ventures and reach out to the rest of the community, both in Lloyds and around this sort of thing, because I think there's more of a will now and there's more of a way now to do things. And the MGA way, that's the better way, do you think? I think often it is, and it's a very good way of accelerating the way that clients see technology and its use for them. 
an MGA is a great way of connecting both the client to the underwriting capacity. Because you're actually getting the cover they need. 100%. And, and you're iterating off it. You're not denying coverage. You're iterating coverage so that actually clients get a better result, that the insurers get a better result. And it's about that longer-term sustainability. That's what we need to think about in our marketplace. Great place to end. Thank you so much, Tom. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Likewise. Thanks very much, Mark. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost-effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance podcast is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>